welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down a special Manchester United comeback. 3-2 over Southampton. Benerick and Ward-Prowse gave United a scare with 23rd and 33rd minute goals to put Southampton up 2-0, but Bruno comes through in the 59th, and then it was the Cavani show. He comes up big time in the 74th minute and the 90th minute, uh, to win it for United. Carl, brilliant way to start this Sunday. I couldn't agree with you more, Vivek. Uh, there's something about Southampton games and that 3-2 scoreline that always uh, resonates with United fans. Uh, I thought today's game was uh, fantastic from a neutral standpoint. Wasn't too happy as a United fan at the end of the first half, but definitely happy at the end of the second half. Uh, what did you think of, of the game? To be honest, I thought United were the better side throughout the match. I thought Southampton accomplished what they set out to do in the first half. But I still thought United, if they just take advantage of their chances, they would have been up. They would have been leading in that first half itself. They, I thought United got unlucky to concede on the two set pieces. There's obviously some film that they need to review with conceding off that corner at the near post. And then a silly foul by Fred. Not really necessary to give away that free kick there. Ward-Prowse, I mean, he's about as special as anyone at set pieces in the Premier League right now. You know, I've never seen in a while, I've never seen anyone deliver a corner kick in the exact same spot multiple times. And he did that. And literally, if you were a Southampton player and you just got into those spots, it was on every time. I think you know, on the first one, Rashford was definitely not expecting Ben Bednarik to do that. He it almost looked like he didn't know how to how to mark him in that position. And he got in front of him and it put it in. This game definitely had that feel though, because when we were down 2-0, in my mind I was like, whoever scores the next goal is going to win this game. If Southampton went 3-0 up, it was it was game over. If United got a goal back, there was every chance that they could come back. And and that's what ended up happening. Now to just kick things off why don't we start off with the uh, starting lineup? What did you make of the changes that Ole made from the Istanbul game to today's game? I wasn't a fan at all. I thought he catered a bit too much to uh, Southampton's tactics. Southampton, you know, Hassan Hudel went with the 4-4-2. And to go with the 4-3-1-2 away from Ole's preferred 4-2-3-1, to have Rashford and Greenwood up top, to me... That sends the message that for whatever reason, Ole thought he couldn't beat Southampton aerially. Because if you have Bruno in front of Rashford and Greenwood, you're only trying to score goals one way. Especially after the way Cavani performed in the Champions League against Istanbul in that start, to offer everything, to offer the intricate one-touch play that can help build up, and then to also offer that aerial threat I thought he was a no-brainer to start. So I was very disappointed with that. Yeah, overall, I thought it was a no-brainer for Cavani to start. And he showed why in the second half. I definitely agree with the Cavani thought process there. I think he was tailor-made for this game. He could hold the ball up. Because remember, Southampton have two big boys at the back in Vestergaard and Bednarik. Right? And so trying to hold a ball up against these kind of guys, if you're Marcus or Greenwood, is, is asking a lot. And that's not their strength in the first place. You know, one thing that I am impressed with, because I would say the West Brom game was one of those games where it was 
not a good performance from United and we were able to pull it out. But the way we've started games now against Istanbul and Southampton is is definitely cause for optimism. I thought we did mm-hmm. start on the front foot. You know, it could have been a completely different game if Greenwood had tucked away that chance. Uh, I think it was in the seventh minute where the keeper came out uh, for some weird reason and Greenwood went past him and kind of had to just hit the target at that point and, and hit the side netting. You know, that was all because we started the game on the front foot and you could see that aggressiveness. Uh, mind you, Southampton also had an aggressive press. And I think United figured it out in the second half where if we break the press, you're in behind against two slow defenders, uh, centre-backs. So that uh, that definitely opened things up for us. Anything you would add about potentially Donny starting? I think when you talk about the press, the key was the fact that, okay, you knew that Donny van der Beek and Bruno were going to link up a ton. But the difference between that first half and second half to me was when you had Rashford and Greenwood together up top, every time United had the ball, they were looking for the ball over the top. So when you have Cavani now also providing an option and dropping deeper to help you build up, it just provides another option. That's why I thought United were able to break the press that much more convincingly in the second half and create the chances that they did. Now, a couple of times we we saw that Rashford and Greenwood were able to get through on those balls over the top. But I still feel that you need to be able to provide both sides of it. And I hope that once Greenwood went to the bench, he was sitting next to Marshall and taking plenty of notes on how to do both from Cavani. Yes. If you're, if you're reflecting on the first half, where would you say that United did well and where did they fall short? So the other thing I should add about United's build-up play is the fact that Southampton very much set out to use the tactical foul whenever United were looking to get forward. That was something that they did use effectively. So that is something that I am willing to concede that United can't really control. That was just astute professional tactical awareness. That was something that they had to work through. Maybe now that you get into the second half and Southampton seem to grow weary You have to credit Solskjaer for the fact that he has always prioritized fitness right from the time that he has come in. And so I think that fitness made a difference in the second half where Southampton grew a bit weary. And so now Southampton, that press, they're just there that split second late that allows that pass to happen and unlock the defense. And so that was a big difference. Yeah, first half, I would say United maybe could have just been a bit quicker and a lot more clinical. The chances that they wasted in the first half, I mean, Greenwood, you know, hitting the side netting and then the 30th minute where McCarthy has the giveaway, Greenwood gets the ball, shoots straight at McCarthy and then Bruno still misses the rebound. Looking at that first half, I think you make some excellent points. I thought uh, what I did like about United was they eventually caught on to how good James Ward-Prowse is from corner kicks and they were able to defend the the the, the next ones a little better, uh, getting to their head, the getting their head to the ball first. You know, Matic coming in actually did a good job. He was able to use his quick feet to get past and give it to Donny or uh, or Bruno to kind of get our our game going. I thought Bruno did try to force it a little too much in the first half and was getting frustrated as a result. I was actually very surprised because you know one thing that Mason Greenwood is known for is his finishing ability, and today mm-hmm. it was. It was completely lacking. But then again, he is also a 19-year-old kid. 
and he's going to have these days, right? So uh, I'm yeah. willing to just concede that. But at the end of the day, you know what? If you're not having a good game, you're still playing for Manchester United. And so if there's someone on the bench who can who can do the business, then you know what? You're going to have to make that call. And I'm, I'm actually happy that Ole had the cojones to do that because in the past, I think uh, one thing we've been critical of is that Ole waits until the 60th minute before making a sub. But I guess being 2-0 down, backs up against the wall, he had no other option. I don't know how much credit I'll give him because it's one thing to look at it that it, great, it came before the 60th minute, but I still look at it as 45 minutes too late. Fair enough. I can g- agree with that. I, I wish the reporters asked him what was his thought process with um, you know, not starting Cavani because if you ask me, I would say that Cavani's fitness looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I have a question for you on the second goal, which James Ward-Prowse scored from a free kick. I feel like this is very similar to what happened against Istanbul. Is David De Gea at fault for this? He's definitely more at fault than the Istanbul free kick because you highlighted in that Istanbul match where, first of all, the ball is much wider and it's coming from a left foot. So you're expecting the cross. Someone like James Ward-Prowse, that is exactly the type of shot you should be expecting. Again, full credit to Ward-Prowse for being able to hit it with pace and being able to bend it in as quickly as he did, which cut into De Gea's reaction time. But especially when you've just conceded a goal at your near post, I think he should be a bit more wary of that and it should be in the back of his mind and have him ready to go and make that save. If he makes the save, it's a world-class save. We're asking for a world-class save regardless, but it's the type of save that now I have to take back what I was saying about believing that De Gea is back at his best. De Gea at his best is making that save. Right. I think the part that if I were De Gea would, would disappoint me the most is that he actually got a hand to it. It's just that he got a hand to it on the other side of the goal line, right? So, and this is the second time we're seeing this. So, obviously, the questions are going to be asked about his positioning, and you know, a is he reacting too late or is he diving, you know, backwards instead of forwards? All these questions are going to be asked. I'm not a goalkeeping expert. You're not a goalkeeping expert. All I will say is I was looking at that, and if you just freeze frame it at the point where he makes contact with the ball on his hand, if James Ward Prowse is one inch to the right. That's a save. So that goes to what you're saying about that world-class save, that world-class free kick. He put it right in the corner. If he put it any more to the left, it's hitting the post. That's how good that free kick was. And so, yes, a little disappointed with De Gea, but at the same time, you just got to raise your hand up and give credit to James Ward-Prowse. I know on the uh, feed that we were watching, Michael Owen and Glenn Hoddle were analyzing this at halftime too. Goalkeeping experts... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and you know Michael Owen had this out there theory of setting the wall for the far post instead of the near post and I was very surprised with that comment he was talking totally about the the distance the ball had to take to get to the far post versus the near post and you want to encourage a player to do that I'm pretty sure if you're James Ward-Prowse and you trust your own abilities he's going to the near post every single time so uh, what did you make of that? Michael Owen sure you have your opinion on how you're shooting it and all uh, all that type of thing. But in terms of what a goalkeeper should be doing as far as setting his wall and that type of stuff, I, I don't know if he's in a position to make those comments. 
if he is someone who's uh, been a goalkeeper in, in his past, then yeah, sure, go ahead. Uh, or defensively, a Glenn Hoddle might have a bit more to offer in terms of, hey, this is where, as a manager, I've spoken to goalkeepers, this is what I'd like them to do, that type of thing. But I don't, I don't really know where Michael Owen has anything to offer in that regard. Like I said, we're, we're hoping for a world-class save from De Gea there. He didn't make it, so it just takes me a little further back from that expectation that he is at his best. He's clearly a bit below that because peak De Gea is making that save. The only thing, the only thing I can maybe say is because it's twice now that he's had to make the save with the ball past the line, I think maybe his starting position could be a bit more forward. And so that way, when he's diving backwards, it's still an opportunity to get there before the ball crosses the line or at least when your hand gets there, either it beats you and you say, okay, too good, or you make the save. Right now, when you dive like that, you're definitely not making the save or you're at least not giving yourself the best chance to make the save. Yeah, definitely. I think just while we're reflecting on the first half, I, I want to just speak from a Southampton perspective. I thought they were extremely clinical. They were extremely crisp with their passing as well. I must say that going forward, uh, they were able to exploit our weaknesses, which was uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka was uh, having to contain two uh, Southampton players, Gineppo and Ryan Bertrand, because I didn't think that Mason Greenwood was dropping back to, to help enough. You could see that Ole knows that about Mason, and that's why if you notice, Fred was shading a lot towards our right-hand side to kind of give Aaron Wan-Bissaka that cover, but it was then opening up the middle. And then I thought Che Adams did a fantastic job holding the ball up and then sending it the other way to Theo Walcott. So I must give credit. The tactics from Southampton in the first half were spot on. The pressure was uh, relentless. But as we know with that, you know, at the end of games, that can come back to haunt you if your fitness isn't there. Fast forwarding to the second half, Oli makes that substitution. What did you think of Greenwood coming off? Do you think that was fair? Yeah, 100%. I thought it was a no-brainer decision. I didn't think uh, Greenwood offered much, uh, especially when you look at his main strength that you highlighted, finishing. When he's had multiple opportunities and he's wasteful, at 2-0 down, you don't have much time to play with. This is a crucial three points that United needed. At the very least, you needed to be able to get one. Let's face it, right now Southampton's above you in the table. You can't be giving up points to these teams. I thought it was a no-brainer substitution. Back to your earlier point about Juan Bissaka. Man, what a performance from Musa Gineppo. The way he was going at Wan-Bissaka over and over and over and creating havoc on that left side, United's right side, that, that, was, that was a long staff, long shot. We know what James Ward-Prowse can do, and he delivered for sure. But for me, I think uh, Gineppo uh, would be my top candidate for the long staff, long shot. He was outstanding. Uh, the way he was able to switch directions from left to right, doing those Cruyff turns was just fantastic and you know what he he created the the free kick for the second goal that Southampton scored and I thought he he was running circles around us I haven't seen Juan Basaka struggle that much ever to be honest and he's come up against some some pretty high class opposition no I have no doubt I have no arguments I think Gineppo deserves the long stuff long shot moving into the second half and what actually gave us that momentum in the first place was there a tactical shift or just a substitution I think it was just the substitutions, to be honest with you, because 
when I looked at that first half performance overall, I thought United were doing quite a lot right, except the finishing. And so that is the biggest part that needed to come around for United. And Cavani offered that in spades. You maybe don't call him a world-class striker anymore, but he is capable of producing those moments. When I look at the goal he scored to tie the match, Bruno's deflected shot, and he's able to pounce on it out of nowhere with the header into the corner. That is sheer striking instinct that maybe only a Greenwood has in his pocket. I don't expect that type of move from Anthony Marshall. I don't expect that type of move from Marcus Rashford. That is the type of instinct where he is so hungry for goals. And you can see it when he ties that match. That is a passion to score goals. That is a passion to play for United and score at the highest level. And kudos to him. The criticisms that some people had of this signing. I said coming in that my expectation was if he can provide that competition to Anthony Marshall and give him something to think about and give United about 10, 12 goals on the season, that would be exactly what you're looking for. Guess what? He's giving Anthony Marshall a lot more than a little competition. I don't, know, I don't know what more he needs to do to start. Uh, I have a feeling that, you know, Cavani is peaking into form at the right time. And guess who's around the corner? PSG is coming into town. And uh, who better than the former player to kind of start the game and with the chip on his shoulder, right? Mm, yeah, no doubt. I'm so impressed with his runs for the second and the third goal. Because most players... When they when they see a player taking a shot, they're watching, right? And, you know, some players are potentially going in for the rebound. But players anticipating where the shot is going and potentially getting their head on it, there's very few players that I, I remember who do that. You know what? I would probably put Sergio Aguero in that category. The last person that comes to mind who would do that on a consistent basis for me is... Uh, Pipo Inzaghi, you know, the guy who is not afraid to be offside because he knows that one time he's not, it's going in the back of the net. And I feel like Cavani has that same attitude because you think about it. I don't think Cavani was aware that uh, I think it was Vestigard was trying to guard the goal because McCarthy was out of position, right? So Cavani's still making that run. He's Mm -hmm. most likely going to be offside, but because Vestigard was back there, he played him onside. So I just commend Cavani for actually doing that and just not believing that a cause is ever lost. I think that attitude just went through the whole team and everybody was lifted as a result because you could start to see the frustrations build up with Bruno. A couple of passes not going according to plan. One-twos with Donnie not going according to plan. But then that all changed with one goal. So I was I was really happy with that. I think one thing we have to add in the second half was the composure that United had defensively as well that helped lead to those United breaks. I thought there were a lot fewer of those aimless clearances just to get rid of the panic. We saw maybe a bit of that in the last five minutes when United were trying to protect the lead. But overall, I thought the build-up play from the back was better. I really want to highlight Harry Maguire because I thought he was great today. Whether it was interceptions, whether it was clearing crosses out, getting his head on the ball consistently, he was part of that build-up play as well. So I thought it was a superb performance from him. And credit to Dean Henderson as well. Didn't have much to do when he came on in the second half for David De Gea, uh, who 
came off with a knee injury after he smacked the post trying to make that save. When you talk about goalkeepers not having much to do in terms of saves, I thought he did a great job consistently communicating. This is the one thing we get to hear now, right? With no fans there. Yeah, he was and definitely vocal. He was, he was constantly barking out instructions. And I think that is something that helped keep United organized. I was I was impressed because I think right when he came on, he he made two quick you know easy saves. Walcott hit hit it straight at him, but he was not nervous at all. It almost looked like he he felt like he belonged there, and he was just slipping mm-hmm. into position. I thought you know little things that he did. Um, the ball was coming back into the box, and usually you know a keeper would you just play it with their feet. He picked it up right away and he threw it right to Alex Tellers. Uh, hey, let's get moving, right? So I really liked that about him. The tempo. He even had uh, one where the ball was coming to his feet and there was a player coming at him. And he was able to shift it onto his left foot and kick it. Didn't panic whatsoever. And you know what? That just breeds a lot of confidence into the back line. I, I agree with you. I think, you know what? It's very easy to to give Harry Maguire a lot of heck. He's a high-priced defender at $85 million, But we should also give him credit when it's due. And I thought he won a lot of headers against a pretty tall team, right? So um, kudos to him. Who would you say uh, gets the Beckham boot? Look, I thought about Aaron Wan-Bissaka because of how he got dominated on that right side. I thought about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because of the Cavani decision to not start him. But he redeemed himself by at least you know correcting that mistake and bringing him on for the second half. One person who had no shot at redemption because he was subbed off was Mason Greenwood. So I, th- I think for me... Uh, the Beckham boot goes to Mason Greenwood. You know, in North America, we call it the sophomore slump. And so far, this season is looking like it, where he, he had a, he had that great rookie season. Some things have happened off the pitch, and he has struggled to deal with it. And in the few moments that he's had on the pitch, I think he's tried to force the issue, and he just hasn't quite been the Greenwood we saw last season. Yeah, I think I would... I would agree with you. Which is, again, I just want to say, perfectly understandable for a 19-year-old. Yes, yes. You know what? For me, it, the pick would come down to between Mason Greenwood and uh, Marcus Rashford. I didn't think they were very good today. Rashford stayed on the pitch. Mason did not. For mm-hmm. me, Mason does get the boot. And yes, he is a youngster. You know what? I don't expect him to finish goals all the time. But... I think a couple of areas where he can definitely improve was I thought he was a little too predictable with his runs. He always ran in behind the defense as soon as Bruno got the ball, as opposed to maybe switching it up a little bit and keeping their the defenders on their toes. I thought defensively he could have done a lot more work to help uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka out against Tunepo. So for those reasons, I would give him the boot. Uh, keeping in mind that, you know what, he, he is going to get better. I think he, he definitely needs to take a page out of his friend's book, uh, Phil Foden, because they were both in that situation at the same time. They both got kicked out of the England camp. However, one has used that as motivation to improve. And then I think Mason just needs to look at what Phil's doing. And also behind the scenes, we don't know. Maybe there's some excellent man management going on on behalf of Pep. And maybe you know we could be better at United with what's going on. So uh, all things considered, yeah, Mason gets the boot for me. On the opposite end of the spectrum, the man who came on for him. Might need to uh, rename this award if he can keep going like this. The Cantona caller, the Cavani caller today, 
Edinson Cavani, that was magical. We we saw what he's capable of in that start against Istanbul to come on and inspire the players on the pitch the way he did with that performance in the second half, fully deserving of having that match winner. No-brainer Cantona caller for me. Yeah, there's the only person who could potentially rival him for that was Bruno, but if it weren't for Cavani, Bruno wouldn't have even got that first goal. You know what? That that Cavani cross for the first goal, he just looked, put his head up and he made it look so simple. Something that has been so difficult for us to get across in the box. He just He's not even a, a winger and he was able to do that with such ease. So it just, you know, part of me is just like, if we had Jaden Sancho who does that day in, day out, where would we be right now? But then again, that's just uh, asking for too much given the current predicament. Hey, you know a striker is world-class when he almost makes an Aaron Wan-Bissaka cross look good. <laughs> that header that he had, if he puts that in, I mean, wow. The fact that he has this in the bag, this is obviously, I think it's unfair at 33 to expect him to do this week in, week out. But to know that he's still got this in his back pocket, that he can pull it out from time to time, I think is going to be a huge boost for United going forward. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of going forward, next game up against PSG. What, what are your thoughts? Who do you think should be in the starting lineup? And not saying Ole is going to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know how PSG is going to go about their business, the way that they like to play. And I think it fits right into Ole's hands of how he likes to play with his counterattacking style. The difference this time is he's going to have to make do without Axel Tuanzebe, who was excellent the last time, obviously suspended now after the Istanbul fixture. He's got a couple yellows to his name. It was a 5-3-2, 3-5-2, whatever you want to call it, with the wingbacks the last time around. Juan Bisaka did an incredible job. That is going to be a strength for United, but this time around, I'm fully expecting... Edinson Cavani to be up top. I'm gonna I know I was fully expecting it in this one, but at this point, with the 90 minutes against Istanbul, with this second half performance, he has to start against PSG. So Marcial on the bench for you? Well, they could still play two up top. So I think they could still go with Cavani and Marcial. It could, in fact, benefit Anthony because you know. As a striker now, if I'm Marshall, I know that Cavani is someone who's willing to drop deeper and help with that link-up play. So if I could play off him where Cavani plays the quick touch back to a Donny van de Beek or to a Bruno, I can look for those runs now off those passes. And so I think this could potentially open up things for Marshall. I know we're talking about the competition they'll have if... Ole opts for the one striking option, but I wouldn't be surprised to see again that three five two five three two whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and the two up front being Marshall and Cavani. But the last thing I will add as well, it would be very difficult to leave, considering his history, to leave a Marcus Rashford out against PSG. Yeah, because you, at the same time, you got to think about squad rotation having a game every three days, right? So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. We also saw Tellez come off the pitch uh, for uh, Brandon Williams. He seemed to be holding his groin. I hope that was just something that was precautionary and nothing 
nothing too drastic because uh, we're kind of short of left backs at the moment. Yeah, that is one thing that I was definitely thinking about towards the end of this match, especially when Tellez came off. That depth at the wing backs. Aaron Juan Bissaka has to play. Alex Tellez has to play. You could potentially find yourself in a situation where you're dealing with injuries the way Liverpool are right now. And you have Jurgen Klopp congratulating BT Sport for the injuries. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of this is dictated by the broadcasting rights and when to air them on television, which, again, I, I feel really sorry for these players because they're just being bandied about with no regard for their physical health. And fr- frank- frankly, on some level, it, it's taking a toll on their mental health as well, right? The Just dealing with these bio-bubble situations. Absolutely. I, I definitely feel sorry for the players, you know. I was listening to the commentators the other day talking about, hey, you know what, at this stage of the campaign last year, the the teams have actually played one or two games less, um, almost making it sound like uh, what's all the fuss about with the fixture congestion. And then he he, he completely forgot to mention that preseason was only two weeks. <laughs> I think that has a huge bearing on players' health, right? Uh, preseason matters. Like being able to switch off matters. And okay, once again, he's saying, yeah, you know what? Players were off for three months, so they did get their their time off. It's not the same thing. They've played so many games in succession since then, right? So you're not comparing apples to apples. So I just want to make that point. I feel I feel bad based off what's going on right now. That Euro 2021, you might have a lot of you know top players missing from that tournament because of what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, Carl, I don't want to get too emotional doing this. I've you know I'm a big supporter of the Dutch, so to see Virgil Van Dijk have that injury obviously that had nothing to do with fatigue that was just uh, a ridiculous disgusting tackle by Jordan Pickford you don't want to see the best players in the world missing out on an event like that there's only so often that you get to participate obviously with the Euros and the World Cup those are events that come along once every four years COVID has changed that slightly but to win major trophies for your country is a huge honor I think no one highlighted that or exemplified that more than the passion Diego Maradona showed playing for Argentina and delivering that World Cup trophy for his country. We have to touch on him. One of the GOATs, we have a lot of debates about Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, but the original GOAT debate was Maradona and Pele. And I mean, not was, it will continue forever. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I I wish I got to watch more of Maradona. Uh, I was a little too young. Uh, so one thing I, I did ask is I asked my dad, who has seen both Maradona and Messi play, I said, hey, who's better? Is, is Messi better or is Maradona? And he told me, he's like, you know what? There's there's no doubt in my mind it's, it's Maradona all day long. And I thought that was a pretty telling statement because we've seen what Messi has done day in, day out for Barcelona. Uh, definitely going to have to uh, to uh, look into some of the archives to see what Maradona was all about. For me, that's actually something I did during the first wave when we were all looking for things to do. The FIFA YouTube channel was nice enough to upload a bunch of classic World Cup matches. And so one thing I did was I lined up those matches that I wanted to see, including that classic 1986 match between 
England and Argentina where he scored the hand of God goal and that insane slalom run. I think it's just a different experience when you get a taste for what he was like over a full 90 minutes as opposed to just watching highlights. And I would, again, strongly recommend whoever hasn't seen the documentary, the Maradona doc on HBO, absolutely find a way to get your hands on that and watch it. For these FIFA classic matches that are up on YouTube, that's accessible to everyone. So I would definitely, if you're looking to get a taste of what he was like over a full 90 minutes, another thing I'll highlight of the respect he had from his opponents, watch it, watch those matches and see how often teams just look to take him out. Every chance they get, they were just looking to take him out. And that to me is the ultimate respect. When you know the defender or the opponent is looking at you and saying, this is the only option I have against you because I can't keep up with your skill. That to me is the ultimate respect. So, uh, yeah, a legend that will never be forgotten. You know, there's the, I don't think there's any easy way to transition from that. So I think we'll just uh, call it an episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to subscribe and join us after every match. Let your friends who might be interested know about it too, as we're trying to build this up uh, as big as possible. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.